He's probably going to be in Mexico this week listening to the sermon, but my bad, bro. Um, but before I jump into the sermon, wanted to just kind of give an update uh, on the move. Um, this is um, kind of bittersweet for me. I guess I've been wanting to move and wanting to relocate the church and wanting us to take a step forward. Um, but as I was driving to church this morning, I was like, wow, like we only have a few uh, Sundays left. And um, this place will always be um, special um, to me because the Lord has allowed us to have um, significant relationships. Um, I do not know what our life would look like without this church. Um, I know we would be Christians. I know we would be a part of a church. But I don't know how um, we would be doing life. Um, some of the relationships that we have in the room um, have absolutely brought fullness and joy to my life. So this building is super special. Um, but as we get ready to transition, I want us to be praying uh, for the new location. I want us to be praying that God would allow us to have new and fresh relationships that are there without losing the relationships that we have here at this current location. Uh, so as we as we get ready to transition, a um, couple, couple big things that we want to uh, clearly communicate. 24th, last service here. Um, July 1st will be a work day. Uh, we got to take out all of the wiring. We got to move all the chairs. We got to clean up the building. We want to be good stewards of the space. And we want to kind of turn it back over uh, to our landlord um, with it being better than we received it. And also, there's some things that need to be done at the new location. There's some landscaping. Uh, there's some gardening. There's some more painting and just some final touches that we need to do. Um, people have asked, well, why are we not having service on the 8th? I'm going to just be 100% honest with you. Um, we're not having service on the 8th because we just need a, more, a little bit more time in terms of getting the building done. So we want to have a time for us to come together to pray. But also, um, we want to use this as a celebration. Um, we want to uh, invite people uh, to, our, to our new location. It's an opportunity for um, us to be super intentional about people um, who are not involved in church, who are, do not have a relationship with God. This is an opportunity for us uh, to invite people on campus to have just a really, really fun day. Uh, there'll be jump houses and food. I'm sure there'll be uh, an opportunity for us to connect in a really, really neat way. And we want to encourage everyone to invite someone that day. And then on July 15th, uh, we will have our first um, actual service uh, at the new location. So there's a lot that needs to be uh, needs to be done between now and then. Uh, so I want to encourage you to just be praying. Um, I know Cassie needs some more help uh, with the children's ministry. If you can come and lend a hand uh, with painting or doing stuff with her, I'm sure she would greatly appreciate it. Um, she'll be here after service. If you want to let her know your availability, she's really flexible. Uh, she's kind of set it up to where you can have hours so you can pop in and pop out. So I'm, I'm excited, but I, I think I'm, I'm starting to get a little, a little sad that we're leaving this place. I didn't, I didn't hear it. All right, let's jump right into our sermon this morning. On last Sunday, we began a series on discipleship. And I began by saying that in my opinion, uh, this is one of the most significant uh, series that I've ever preached, uh, not because it's the current series and not because uh, it is the series that we're going to be preaching as we get ready to make a physical transition, I believe that this is one of the most uh, significant series that I've ever been able to preach because this series will answer a critical question. On last Sunday, I spoke about how the two most important days of, of your life is number one, the day that you were born again, and then secondly, 
it's the day that you realize why God called you to be born again. The day, the first day is important because it is the day where you move literally from death to life. It is the day when you enter into a real and healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. We do know that salvation uh, delivers us from hell. It delivers us from the penalty of sin. Uh, salvation secures for us a home in heaven for eternity, and we need to rejoice over that. But secondly, when we realize why Christ has died for us, but left us here on this earth, we, get, we begin to, to realize that Christ, yes, delivers us uh, from hell, but he also delivers us from living a life that is meaningless and empty. When you figure out why Christ has left you here, it will deliver you from a life that is marked by trying to please people and trying to impress people. It will deliver you from a life that is simply marked by living for the weekend or living for a vacation or living for the next promotion. When we realize why Christ has not only died for us, but why Christ has allowed us to live here on this earth, it will totally transform how you live. When we began the series, I thought it was important for us to give a working definition of discipleship. A disciple is someone who adheres to the teaching of another. It is a follower or a learner. It refers to one who takes up the way of someone else. Uh, my favorite verse in the Bible that speaks to discipleship is 2 Timothy 2.2. It simply says, And what you have heard from me, in the presence of faithful witnesses and trust the faithful men or women who will be able to teach others also. Basically, the passage is communicating that you and I are called to take whatever we have learned and received, and received spiritually and we are called not to just put it in a pot and not to become uh, these super spiritual giants, but we are called to pour out as God is pouring into us. That means that to be a part of discipleship does not require that you have a degree. Uh, to be committed to discipleship does not require that you have a title in the church. It does not mean that you have to be here for a certain number of years. It does not mean that you have to reach a certain spiritual level. Discipleship simply requires that you first have an honest and healthy relationship with Jesus Secondly, it requires that you are growing in that relationship because if you are not being poured into, you do not have anything to pour out. And thirdly, it requires that you and I develop a burden and a desire to see God use us to impact others, to see God use our life for his glory. When you get to a place in your life where you recognize that life is not simply about you, but God has called you to use your life for his glory by investing in others that will transform your life. Uh, unfortunately, in churches, we have bought the lie and we have accepted the false teaching that God most wants to use the pastor, that God most uh, wants to I have people come to hear from the preacher guy. 
that God most wants to use uh, those with seminary degrees and those who have reached a certain spiritual level. And I want to tell you uh, uh, from, from, the, from the very beginning to the end of this series, that is a lie from Satan. I want to I say this so, so slowly and so clearly that you cannot miss this. God wants to use you. God desires for your life to be lived in such a way that you are not concerned about simply building yourself or you are concerned about building others for the kingdom of God. Some have, have, have concluded that God, God can never use me. Thomas, I can't talk like you talk. Thomas, I've never been to seminary. Thomas, I, I, I don't have the experience that you have. To, Thomas, God cannot use me. And I want to tell you this. If you believe that lie, you are allowing Satan to have the victory in your life. That does not mean that you're not a Christian. Hear me now. Hear me very clearly. If you never get to a place where you see that God can use your life, that does not mean that you lose your salvation. Here's what you lose. You lose an opportunity to live a life that has an impact on eternity. I, I said it, and I'll say it again, the most important part about our series or our sermon last week was understanding uh, that the process of discipleship or the idea that God desires for you to invest in others spiritually is, is, is something that is not new to the New Testament. Like the idea of God using uh, your life for his glory by investing in others is not something that just happened to pop up in the New Testament. It's not something that just popped up when Jesus came to the earth. Uh, it is a, there is a consistent theme throughout all of scripture where God is using a people for himself to multiply his glory and so, to, to call people to a deeper and more co a committed relationship. Um, as I was preparing my sermon this morning, I was trying to think about an example from real life of how a theme or a truth was easily missed by, by a significant group of people. Um, I immediately thought about the, the U.S. Constitution. The U.S. Constitution could easily be summed up um, by, the, by the words liberty or freedom. The U.S. Constitution clearly states that we are all free. We are a free republic. But because that freedom was not extended to everyone, then you have something called the Bill of Rights that simply clarified more freedom. Clarified the, clarified the freedom of religion. It clarified the freedom of speech. It clarified uh, the freedom to bear arms. But guess what? Though there was a U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights, there were still people who did not experience freedom in this country, right? There were still women who could not vote. There were still black people who could not vote. There was still injustice in this country. So uh, we are constantly looking at the Constitution to make sure that the theme is consistent in our country. And just as we have missed the idea of freedom in our country, I really do believe that we have missed the redemptive thread of discipleship that is from Genesis to Revelation. I really do believe we've missed the opportunity to live our lives in such a way where God will receive the glory out of our lives. When you take a moment and you step back and you look at 
uh, from the very beginning, God says, I'm creating a people for myself. I'm creating a people who are called to reproduce themselves. Now catch this. The reproduction that the scriptures speak about is not about numbers. If you leave here thinking that this series is about more numbers, you are missing the entire point. When you look at it, uh, the the reproduction that you see in scripture and the spiritual multiplication that you see in scripture is not about numbers. It is about building laborers. It's true in the life of Abraham. He wanted to build a laborer. It's true in the life of David. He wanted to build a laborer. It's true in the life of Esther and Ruth. It's true in the life of Jesus and his disciples. But here's the truth. It's also true in the life of Andy and Mariah and Bob. It's true in all of our lives that God wants to use your life so that your life can give him the most glory possible. I want to be very clear that this is not just a principle of Scripture. But this is God's plan to reach the world. We see it played out from Genesis to Revelation. And when we see it played out, we must fight the temptation to think that God is simply into bigger things. Bigger budgets, bigger churches, uh, bigger uh, land. But that's not the truth. When Moses invested in Joshua, Moses invested in Joshua because Moses understood that he would not always be around to lead. So he wanted to invest in another person who would continue to extend God's kingdom. It's true in the life of Jesus. Jesus understood that his earthly ministry would be limited physically, so he wanted to invest in the disciples so they could continue to invest in others spiritually. It's true when Barnabas invested in Paul. It's true when Paul invested in Timothy. And now it is true when we invest in others because it gives us an opportunity to reach more people. One of my, um, when when I do counseling with couples, I have most of my uh, couples read a book called The Five Love Languages. It's a book that I've mentioned before. It's a really uh, easy read. I would encourage anyone in a relationship to get the book if you hadn't had it. The book essentially, well actually you don't need to get the book, I'm going to give you the book in the cliff notes right quick. The book essentially breaks down that there are five ways, uh, and it's general, but there are five ways that we extend or express our love. Through physical touch, through words of affirmation, uh, through acts of service, through quality time, and also through gifts. As your pastor, if you want to show your love by giving me a gift I want mine <laughs> what is profound about the book is that rather than loving people the way we want to be loved we must take an assessment of how someone desires to be loved and we must be intentional in loving the person that way if my wife if her love language is words of affirmation then I would, I would be robbing her by just giving her love through giving her a gift. If her love language is acts of service, I would be robbing her if I just physically touched her. Based upon the person's love language, we need to know exactly how to love them well. Now here's the question. I don't want you to answer what you think about it. What do you think God's love language is? Think about that for a second. 
how does God want to be loved? It's one thing for us to show God love the way we want to show him love. It's another thing to show God love the way God desires to be loved. If you have your Bibles, go with me quickly to John 21. John 21 verse 15 says, And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he says, he said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I, I want to just submit to you this morning that discipleship is important because when we join the process of discipleship, I really believe we are speaking God's love language. We are loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we are loving our neighbor as ourself. When you look at it, it's, it's usually, when we come to come face-to-face to face with these truths, it usually presents a problem because we are sinners, and we are selfish, and we want to do our own thing. And really, if we're honest, myself included, I want to love God on my own terms. Do I want to love God? Absolutely. Do I want to express my appreciation for the Lord? No question about that. But the question is, am I loving God the way God desires to be loved? Or am I loving God in a way that's simply comfortable for me? For some of us, we want to just love God. We want to, we want to limit our love for God by just singing a song. Or just writing a check. Or just showing up to a building on Sunday or taking a mission trip every couple of years. And while there's nothing wrong with singing or writing a check or taking a trip, we must understand that we can do all those things without being a disciple. The truth is you can sing a song and not be a disciple or make disciples. Or you can write a check and not be a disciple or make disciples. You can express your love in a lot of different ways, but the question that we've got to stop and we've got to pause and we've got to really reflect and ask ourselves is, am I loving the Lord the way the Lord desires to be loved? When I think about how we love God, I think there's, there's, there's tremendous freedom. If you want to love God through writing a song, I love Catherine's music. She, she expresses her love for God by writing songs. Some of us express our love for God uh, by, by working and serving. Some of us express our love for God uh, by doing things for others. That's wonderful. Please do not hear me saying do not do that. The question that we must continue to wrestle with is, am I doing those things at the expense of what God desires for me to do? So that's why we're in the series. That's why we are doing what we are doing because we want to live a life that is about knowing God, that is about making God known. We want to know, we want to live a life that is about glorifying God and it is about fulfilling the mission of God. 
So some of us are like, okay, that, that's actually my sermon from last week. I hadn't even started the sermon from this week. Sorry, guys. So I had, to, I had to finish that because now that we see that it's clear that discipleship is a part of God's plan, I really do believe now the question that we ask is, well, preacher, where do I start? Does that mean I need to go to seminary? Or does that mean that I need to start my own Bible study? Like, where do I begin? Well, like, how do I start this process? Like, how do I begin to orient my life in such a way where God receives the glory in my life and through my life? And I appreciate you asking me that. Which is look at the screen closely. So for the next four weeks, show the diagram, we're going to talk about the four E's of discipleship, right? If you look at the first or the, the, top, the top section of, with a potential disciple, that's somebody who does not know Jesus. That's somebody who has, does not have a relationship with God. And for that person, we focus on evangelism. Like, we don't focus on moral performance. We don't focus on trying to get that person to change. If, the, if a person is separated from God, the first thing we need to do is we need to share the gospel with them. Once a person receives Christ, the next step is we need to help them become established in their faith. We need to help them grow in their faith. Thirdly, after a person has grown in their faith, then we need to give them uh, some tools to be equipped to continue to live out their faith. And then lastly, once a person has been equipped, then we must export them. We must send them on mission. Before we jump into the sermon, I'm going to ask a question. If you look at your life personally, what would you say you are on the grid? Just take a moment to think about that. Would you say you are Christian? Would you say that you are establishing your faith, that you're growing in your faith? Would you say that you have been equipped in your faith? Would you say that you are ready to be exported? Okay. Based upon how you answer that question, well, that, that will identify where you need to start the process. There's some here who don't have a relationship with Jesus. There's some here who, who do not, who have not placed their faith in Christ. And for you, we need to simply share the gospel. We need to give you opportunities to place your faith in Jesus. For those of us who placed our faith in Christ, but we haven't grown in our relationship with Christ, discipleship looks like helping you develop some spiritual muscles. It means that we need to help you grow in your faith. We need to help you get stronger in your faith. If you're pretty strong in your faith, but you have no idea how to do ministry with others, then we need to give you the tools that are necessary so that you can be equipped to do personal ministry on your own outside of the church. And once you have been equipped, it is my responsibility as your pastor to give you an opportunity to be exported, for you to leave the four walls of the building so that you can have the greatest impact possible for Christ. So, it's 11.50, and I think it's time for me to start my sermon now. So, go with me to Matthew chapter number 9. Verse 35. In the passage, Jesus simply says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. 
when, his, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to, the, to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease, every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without pain, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for the journey, or two, uh, or two tunics, or sandals, or staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it to stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Now just for a few moments, I want to share from the subject title, uh, Saved to Work, but Not Saved by Works New Principles. God, thank you for um, allowing me to finish last Sunday. God, but as we uh, take a moment to focus on evangelism, God, I pray that you would speak clearly to us. God, I pray specifically that you would help us see that we have a divine opportunity. Yes, God, we have many obstacles before us. God, but you've given us an opportunity to wave the banner of hope, to tell those who are hurting, those who are lost, those who are separated from you, that you are a healer, that you are a forgiver. God, that you are our creator and that you are the love of our souls. God, help us to not see that as a, as a, a weighty and overwhelming task. God, but help us to see that as a tremendous privilege and a wonderful opportunity. We love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I told a story before I want to tell it again just because it's so good. There, is a, there was a story of a shoe salesman who went over to Africa. Uh, the, the company that he worked for was trying to expand uh, their footprint to a new continent. Uh, he was from America, and he wanted to go over there to do some market research. Uh, the, the salesman is there for about two weeks, and he calls the CEO of the company and says, uh, please send me a ticket home because no one here wears shoes. The CEO was pretty disappointed in the, in the salesman's lack of initiative, and he, but he sends him the ticket maybe about six months later he he has an idea again you know what that this is an opportunity for our business to expand it's an opportunity for us to reach an untapped market he 
he picks another sales associate, and that sales associate goes over, and that sales associate is in Africa for one week. He calls the CEO, and he says, uh, please send me every available shoe possible because no one here wears shoes. Two guys saw two completely different things. They saw the same thing, but essentially they saw something totally different. When you think about the passage that we just read, it is a reminder that in life, we can see things totally different. When Jesus begins to preach and teach, he tells us very clearly that there is a great opportunity, there is a promise that the harvest is plentiful, that there will be a tremendous response to the gospel message. But then he says, the labors are few. He says there's a great, great opportunity, but there's a great obstacle. As we look at Matthew number, number 9, the first thing that we must consider is what Jesus saw. Verse 36 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed, they were helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. When you read the ninth chapter of Matthew, uh, we begin to see God's heart behind evangelism. We begin to see God's heart behind sharing the message of love and the message of peace and a message of comfort that can only be found in Christ. When you look at uh, the ninth chapter uh, through the 10th chapter, 14 verse, there's three significant things that we must consider if we are going to take evangelism serious in our personal lives, but also in the life of our church. And the first thing is we must, <coughs> we must challenge ourselves to ask the question, what are we seeing? I love Jesus because he saw the people clearly. He didn't simply see a physical need, but when Jesus saw the people, he saw a spiritual need. I don't know about you guys, but uh, sometimes uh, I enjoy people watching, and uh, sometimes when you go out in public, it's amazing to me there could be a group of five and six, five or six people uh, sitting at a table, and this is not just young people, it's old people too, and everybody at the table is in their phone. Like nobody's communicating, nobody's thinking about what's going on around them. They are so consumed with the cell phone. They're so consumed uh, with what is uh, with the device in front of them that they're not taking time uh, to connect with others. There's one guy in particular who I go to Chipotle with often who does me that way, but that's okay. <laughs> when you think about that, when you think about that reality, it really is a reminder that you and I can see people around us but not really see the people who God has planted around us. We can be so consumed with, with our little lives that we miss an opportunity to focus on those who God has, who, who God has called us to minister to. Uh, the same is true uh, for, for a church. Uh, we, can, we can get to a place to where our focus and our attention is all about this building. It's all about what color the walls are. It's all about how much the mortgage is going to be. It's all about uh, what color the furniture is going to be. We can be so consumed with what is going on around us that we can miss the reality of where God has planted us. I love the passage because it challenges me to consider not simply uh, where people are going at the church for, for lunch or not what, what, not what your major is or not what your career is, not what your profession is, but it challenges me to ask the question, where will people spend eternity? 
you to go with me to Matthew chapter number 7, verse 13. Matthew 7, verse 13, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Here's the truth, guys. God's plan for moving people from the wide gate to the narrow gate is to involve your life, introducing people to another option. Not just the pastor or the deacon or the missionary or the campus chaplain. God wants to use you to help other people see and know what a real relationship is. Uh, as I was preparing my sermon, I was thinking about how it's so easy for me to think about a person's gender or a person's race or a person's uh, socioeconomic class before I think about where is this person spiritually. It's easy for me to think about uh, their marital status or their career path or their earning potential or uh, what major they're studying in without taking a moment to ask the question, where is this person going for eternity? When you look at the text, we see that Jesus clearly sees that the people had a need. He says, I see people who are hurting. He says, I see people who are in pain. He says, I'm going to look past uh, the person's social media status. I'm going to look past how the person is putting on a mask, and I'm going to ask these people, are you hurting? Are you harassed? Are you helpless? And Jesus is willing to look past uh, the people's physical needs to see a spiritual need. When I think about it, it really does reveal how much Christ cares for people. Like Christ really loves people so much so that he was willing to look at the needs of the people first. I'm not going to lie to you. As I, was, um, as I was preparing my sermon, I was just thinking to myself, Thomas, why don't you see people this way? And honestly, y'all know how try to use personal examples in my, in my sermons, the reason why I don't see people that way is because I really don't care. I don't really care about people the way I care about Avita, the way I care about Thomas, the way I care about Timothy, the way I care about Titus, the way I care about my Micah. Th there's so many times where I look past people because ultimately I don't care about where those people will spend eternity. When you look at Jesus, when you look at his response, it is a reminder that Jesus truly cares about people's deeper needs spiritually. It's a, it's a challenge for me to consider, Thomas, what about the guy who cuts your grass every Friday? What about the neighbor who's a little awkward? What about the person who I'm in class with? What about the family member who I haven't talked to in a while? What about the people who are on the outside that look like they have it all together, but am I willing to ask the question, how is this person really doing spiritually? This, this past week, we had uh, two uh, very well-known uh, people who committed suicide. And as I was preparing my sermon, I was wondering, did anybody look at Kate Spade's life and ask a deeper question? Did, they, did we just see her as a great designer? Did we just see her as a very wealthy person? She, at, the, at the point of her dying, she was worth over $150 million. Did we say well, you know, she has it all together because physically or financially she has everything she'll ever need. Or we, or we seen that there was a person who was hurting deeply. 
Same thing with Anthony Bourdain. Did we just see him as a guy who got to travel the world, who got to do great TV shows, a guy who was able to, to, to introduce the world to great food, or were we seeing someone who was really hurting? When you look at Jesus' response, his response is not uh, superficial, but his response reveals how much compassion he had on the people. When, when I look at the text, it, it challenges me to move past uh, simply seeing people based upon the outer appearance, but it challenges me to pray, Lord, reveal to me what's really going on in a person's life. Yes, and when you think about it, like we get, we get really up in arms about things that we're passionate about. We get, and I, I hope you get up in arms about uh, racism and social injustice. I hope that you get up in arms about uh, sexual exploitation. I hope you get up in arms about a lot of things, but here's the truth. If we just get up in arms about race or gender and we don't get up in arms about the gospel, what does that say about our heart? Like if we can get more up in arms about who a person voted for, care who you voted for, but if you if you get more concerned about uh, a, 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 a political party or a political uh, opinion than you get about the gospel and people who are far from God, the question that I have to ask yourself is, the question that we got to ask ourselves is, what does that really reveal about our heart? So first, we must consider what Christ saw, but secondly, we must consider who Christ sent. Verse 37 says, then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Once again, there's a promise, plentiful response, but there's also a huge obstacle, and that's that the laborers are few. As I was thinking about it, it's a reminder that as a church, we got, we got to make a decision. We got to make a decision Will we be like a country club where we're just concerned about the status quo, about making sure we got good music on Sunday, making sure the preacher doesn't offend me, making sure that the building is clean, making sure that my kids have some good kids to play with, making sure that I have some, uh, some adults who I can hang out with, or do we see this church as a vehicle of God reaching people who are far from him? Like, depending upon how we answer that question, will determine how we move forward as a church body. Like, we, we got to move past just establishing a comfortable and convenient environment by asking ourselves, who is God calling us to serve and who is God calling us to impact? When we look at our culture, it can get a little overwhelming. When you look at uh, the decline and you look at how people are no longer uh, uh, corporately attending church or people are not uh, kind of, um, people are saying, you know what, I'm more spiritual than religious, so I don't need to go to a church. You have all these things that are going on in our culture. And if you look at the culture, you will be overwhelmed. But if we look at Christ, we look at the opportunities before us, we will get excited about how God can use us to make a difference in our city and to make a difference in this country. When you look at it, from Genesis to Revelation, God is not only multiplying a people for himself, but when you get to Revelation, there is a tremendous number of people uh, from every tribe, every tongue, every nation that cannot be counted, and all of these people are there because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, but also because God sends out his church, his people on mission to introduce others 
to Jesus. That's like, that's why we go knock on doors. Like, it's not to increase the numbers of people who are in the building. We go knock on doors because we want people to know Jesus. Like, that's why we're doing the community day on July 8th. Because we want people to know Jesus. Like, that's why we are uh, making this move, and we want to make sure that we have a, 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 a place where people can connect, not because we just want a pretty building and a pretty edifice. We're doing it because we want to see people come to know Jesus. When you look at it, I, I love how Jesus um, tells them the harvest is plentiful, but then he says the laborers are few, and then he says pray that the Lord will send laborers out into the harvest. It's amazing to me that Jesus says, he makes them a promise. He says the harvest is plentiful. Then he gives them a command. He says, pray. But then he sends the same people who are praying out to reach the people who are lost. Isn't it amazing that a lot of times that God will use you as an answer to your own prayers? In in the text, uh, the, the disciples are praying and Jesus is saying, you know what? You see the need, I want you to be a part of meeting that need. It's a reminder to me that when there are people who are disconnected, that when there are people in my family who are far from God, who don't have a relationship with God, that maybe God is calling me to be the one to go, who goes out to reach them. When we think about our culture that's falling apart, when our society that's broken, maybe God is calling me to make an impact on the culture and the society. Like, if I'm just waiting on God to send somebody else, I'm going to be waiting for a long time. But if I see that God wants to use me as a part of that, then God can do something great in my life. So first, we must consider what Christ saw, who Christ sent, but lastly, who Christ saves or who Jesus saves. Verse 12 says, as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. And when you leave the house or the town, when you think about it, Jesus takes us off the hook from trying to make people believe something. Like if you think about evangelism as you have a responsibility to fuss people into coming to church. You have missed the idea of evangelism. And when Jesus tells people to go out, he doesn't say, make them a promise that if they just trust me, life will be easy. He doesn't say, make them a promise that if they just pray this sinner's prayer, that they'll never have another hard day. He doesn't say, you are responsible for meeting a certain quota of people who pray to receive Christ. He does not say that. He says, I want you to go out And I want you to share the message because if people are not hearing the message, then people can never receive the message. You think about it, there there are three very simple applications for us today. We're going to have a time of communion. The three applications that we see in our text are the first thing is we got to see clearly. We got to ask the Lord to give us a a discerning heart for those who are hurting. We live in a day and time where it's so easy to put on this mask and have everything together, but the question is, 
am I seeing the deeper need that people have? We've got to ask God to show us who to minister to. But then secondly, we've got to ask, well, God asks us to pray earnestly. We need to be serious about our prayer life. We need to be serious about the thing that God has called us to. And then lastly, we need to share boldly. Come on up, Brian. As we enter into a time of communion, Pastor Brother, I want us to take a few moments to wrestle with the question. God, am I seeing clearly? Secondly, Lord, am I praying earnestly? And thirdly, am I personally willing to share boldly? Father, we thank you for blessing us with these moments of preparation. God, I ask specifically that we would not just get through this moment, but I pray that we would ask you for clarity and direction. God, remind us of the diagram. Allow us to be honest and real about where we are. God, you tell us in your word that we are not to enter into this time unadvisedly. God, so as we take a few moments just to pray, and as we take a few moments to prepare our hearts, God, speak to us and show us exactly what you're calling us to do. We love you, Father. In Christ's name I pray.